Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy. This is not your father's press from 20 years ago. No, I'm serious. And you all know it better than I do. But still, it is absolutely consequential and essential. After all, I believe in the First Amendment. Not just because my good friend Jimmy Madison wrote it. (laughs) All right, there you go. The president of the United Uh States at the annual White House Correspondents' Dinner where Washington celebrates itself and the president makes fun of himself. And he did a pretty good job, uh, I thought, Mike Murphy. 20 minutes of dynamite. I'm going to book him into the Riviera next week. No, (laughs) any president who does a little of the work to have a couple of jokes and not be insane uh, can score there because it's a very cozy inside thing. I've hated it. I walked out in the late 90s after too much giggling about Clinton making a stupid joke post-Monica. But it's a layup if you do it right. And I thought Biden did pretty well. I felt for Roy Wood Jr., the old pro comic who was there with the worst job in comedy, trying to get laughs out of a huge, echoey, totally self-serious room where half the people in it at least have had their sense of humor removed surgically. But, but all in all, I thought he did well too. And it was, it was a good night for Biden. Well, let's, let's, uh, shall we bring in a someone whose sense of humor? Yeah. First of all, an icon of Washington. Uh, she doesn't want to admit it, but it's true. Uh, and uh, someone who doesn't, uh, who still has her sense of humor, it has not been surgically removed. Uh, the great Amy Walter from the Cook Report with Amy Walter, and now you guys have your own podcast, right? Is that is we that what do? I'm given to uh, I think we're going to have to have a little crossover edition here as we move in to oh. these next few months. What do you think? It's called Absolutely. the Odd Years because we're starting it here in an odd numbered year, where. Remember in the old days, guys, it was quiet yes. in the off years. Yeah, they used to call it the invisible primary. Now, yes, you, now whole, it's quite visible. Yeah. So, well, that's a genius idea. Yeah. I'm going to give you. it a double plug. The Cook Political thank Report's you. new podcast, The, yes, odd, the years, odd Years, and we'd be yes. happy to do a crossover thank deal. You. We're like poor relations. We go anywhere we're invited. So, yeah, if you have ten dollars in an hour, <laughs> we're there. Exactly, or five. Or one, or we pay you. You could have called it Odd Ears and invited my old boss to be on your show, President Obama. But oh, that, gosh. But that probably would have been a one and done. David, huh? the jokes just don't stop, do they? I know, you. I know. The dad jokes know. just pour I out I know, that's you. one of the benefits of listening to Hacks on Tap. I know it's one of the reasons why people over 90 uh, <laughs> kind of Are your tune, biggest tune, demo. Exactly, exactly. Uh, so, guys... Um, uh, we, we'll, I want to get to the presidential race in a second, but there's actually a really big story uh, that kind of took a new 
a leap yesterday, which is this whole fight over the debt ceiling. I don't want to get into the economics of it because we're not e economists here. We're, we're hacks. But I do want to get into the politics of it. Uh, Kev McCarthy, uh, uh, you know, uh, wrangled his unruly bunch and passed a uh, debt ceiling uh, limit raise that included cuts that basically uh, zero to that much of what President uh, Biden accomplished last year. With, with accomplished being a loaded term, I'll argue freezing spending at last year is a good idea. But moving forward, McCarthy did a pretty heavy lift. I, I'm not a huge fan, but I got to give him credit. He, he got his cats to march in a straight line for 11 minutes uh, on the low scale now. Not bad, but go ahead, David. Yeah, Finish no, no. This, uh, well, I mean, look, he got he got the cats to march by putting out the cat food and they walked toward it. And when they asked for more food, he poured more food into the dish, and they finally they finally went along. Uh, and like I said, I because I know we could have a long debate about whether cutting domestic spending by twenty two percent is a really good plan, but uh, a domestic discretionary spending because they've limited set three quarters of the budget is off limit for for them, so it's right. all focused on uh, on the domestic budget and climate and so on. But Amy, like, where does this go now? Because the Treasury Secretary just said yesterday, we got a month. President summoned the leaders to the, uh, to the uh, White House next week to talk about this. He says he won't negotiate. Uh, he wants a clean uh, debt ceiling bill. Uh, Republicans say they won't give him that House. Like, how does the story end? And we're recording this, so we're going to check on you uh, later. Doesn't it seem like it 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 ends where it always does, which is we're going to have breathless coverage for the next three weeks about how is this going to work and who's going to blink first and what's going to be in it. And ultimately, something's going to pass, whether it there is some sort of compromise. I doubt it's going to look like the bill that passed the House. That seems it can't. I mean, incredibly the impossible. That. Exactly. Right. So what are McCarthy and Republicans willing to accept and call it victory? What is the president sort of willing to give to call it victory? And we move forward. Uh, you know, earlier this year, one of these crusty old lobbyists, when I asked him what he thought, he said, well, you know, the debt ceiling fight, it's like a kidney stone. You're going to pass it. It's just a question of how painful it's going to be. <laughs> and I thought, you know, that, that's nice a pretty image, good. Yeah. Isn't yeah, that yeah. A, Somebody a great image? Somebody's got a two grand invoice for that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. The world of lobbying. What is interesting, I think, and I, I, I have to go back and look at these numbers, but I do think that the president is in a different place in 2023 than Barack Obama as president was in 2011 in terms of who gets the benefit the of the The last time we had a big standoff like this. That's right. And while in 2011, voters were more willing to give President Obama at least more, I don't know if it's benefit of the doubt or were more willing to blame Republicans if things went wrong. At least, again, this was polling earlier this year, suggesting, not surprisingly, that because we are even more polarized now than we were in 2011. People are just lining up on their side. They're going to say, well, of course, Republicans are to blame or, of course, Biden and the Democrats are to blame. And I don't know that it's going to move voter opinion all that much. 
Yeah, although if the if the economy goes in the shitter, Murphy, well, that's that, that's a that's not a, not a good outcome for Biden. Yeah, no, I I think the whole Biden. I mean, I've seen their new web spot, which is all about move the right track up. Things are great. I think that's dangerous. I think Biden's in a lot more political trouble than I think maybe they admit. But to the debt ceiling, doing the politics of it, the Republicans won today. The question is, are they smart enough to to take a bunted single and declare victory or run the table and let Biden have the offense? And the reason I say the Republicans have won, if they, they have said we have just crazy spending and debt, which is absolutely true. We've tripled the national debt since uh, the Bush years. And so they're dragging their feet. Biden has the process issue of you can't hold everybody hostage to a debt ceiling. It's a terrible way to negotiate spending. I want a blank check. No questioning. I'm not going to negotiate. Well, guess what? Who's been invited over to the White House? The leadership, including the Republicans. So the, the smart political thing now is for the Republicans to get a fig leaf on spending to be able to declare some kind of victory. Uh, and then not play crazy Russian roulette with the debt ceiling. And that's the problem for the modern Republican Party right. taking taking the strategic win as opposed to the fiery Braveheart charge uh, is really, really hard. And that'll be the job for Kevin to try to get a fig leaf and get out. Uh, and we're safe. Yeah, I mean, that's the issue that I was going to ask you about, because there are 20 members of that House Republican caucus who don't want a fig leaf, who want a full Monty and uh, who are not going to, uh, you know, they, they barely went along with this, and they made clear that they're not going to. And they have a gun pointed at uh, Kevin McCarthy's head because any single one of them could call to vacate the chair, and, and the whole House would then vote on whether Kevin McCarthy could continue as Speaker. Yeah, I, I agree. It, it, it's out there, but, I, I mean, the Democrats— don't want a fig leaf either. They want a total crushing blank check, spend 40 trillion win. And Biden's made a little concession today because he has to. The Republicans won that. Uh, now, can can Biden control his stuff or will it just be a lot of yodeling? And in the end, I don't think even I think the the hard side of the House Republican caucus wants more noise and more yodeling and more high stakes craziness. Yeah. But in the end, I don't think they're suicidal. Well, we'll see. I mean, I yeah. think that's the question, Amy. I mean, how far will they uh, will they go? Because he can't. Pa- he what he he probably can't do and survive. Unfortunately, I think is uh, pass a bipartisan bill. There's no that well, that is neither party absolutely. wants a bipartisan. Absolutely, bill. that's, <laughs> yeah, absolutely that's right. a problem. That's absolutely right. The question isn't. Uh, there are two things. One, what it do, what does it do to the economy, and what does it do to just the continuing lack of faith and trust in politicians and institutions? Right when this seems to right. be this dance uh, kabuki, really that goes on every few years, and there's no. I, I don't think any voter would say, "Boy, we really solved that problem in 2011." Remember when we. <laughs> We came up with this great solution that actually turned out to be exactly sequestration actually did little to nothing to change the stakes. And it it is now where we sit. The only ability to move uh, sort of your your base in terms of showing your effectiveness in office is, is taking things to the very edge. 
and the threatening. Yeah, I mean, one one of the things that makes people cynical is, you know, a quarter of the national debt was accumulated in the four years of Trump. the The uh, debt ceiling was uh, was raised three times. Uh, there was no squawking from these same Republicans about that. So they're sort of kind of seasonal budget hawks. Uh, secondly, but but to your point, I think one of the things that drives people nuts about Washington is uh, this no, the idea that every problem gets weaponized rather than good-natured efforts to actually try and address them. And this certainly is going to fit in that category because basically the list of things that they want to cut uh, are all Democratic priorities. So it's not a serious proposal, and they know it'll never get through the Senate, and uh, it's, it's, it's chum for the base. No, no, it's a negotiating maneuver. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, but I, I just have to disagree with you on some of this stuff, David. The the Democrat stuff is chum for their base. Both parties are in the chum business. So I agree about Trump. Republican fiscal conservatives should have raised hell about that. And they didn't because they were afraid of Trump. But Democrats are never going to raise hell about increasing government spending. It's just an anathema to them. So they kind of take the win from Trump, even though they're fighting on the which priorities get the money. Um, it, it, and, and I'm against using the debt ceiling for this, but we're so dysfunctional now we can't have regular order, but the spending point is a legitimate one. Um, we do have crisis level national debt now. And so you're not an evil Republican to be worried about that. The shame on the party is we, we can't be part of bringing back regular order to have these fights the fair way we used to rather than this peril of Pauline stuff. But I mean, I'm happy Biden agreed to at least negotiate today because I thought his stance politically of my way or the highway, let's take that debt to 40 trillion, uh, was not so good for him either. I think the spending issue is coming back. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. I'm I'm guardedly optimistic that even the crazy circus monkey cage here might be able to, like, break the banana in half and eat it. Um, but but who knows? Who knows? We'll see. Speaking of circus uh stuff uh let's talk about the republican race uh for president and the ringmaster himself so uh i i saw an interview on fox with donald trump last weekend and uh he had interesting observations on his own place in history say that andrew jackson was the most vilified president it was his wife died during this thing and they said such horrible things and he had a very tough presidency. He was a very good president. He was a great general and a good president. Um, Abraham Lincoln, they say, was, you know, he had a civil war going on, all right? But uh, Abraham Lincoln had was just <laughs> little, little thing. vilified. He was, but now they say Trump got treated the worst of all. <laughs> now, I want to point out that Abraham Lincoln was assassinated, okay? And, yeah, which is yeah. really rough treatment. <laughs> no, it's unbelievable. It just shows how delusional he is. You know, it reminds me of the old Star Trek writer's trick at the end of the day when they were out of things. They'd write a little monologue for somebody. Great villains of history, Genghis Khan, Adolf Hitler, Zorgon of Vulcan 5, you know, the, the march of history. So in Trump's warped brain, he actually believes this. You know, the three the three great patriots who suffered the most. It is unbelievable. Yeah. And this is one reason Trump fatigue is set into the Republican Party. This is not effective Trump. This is completely crazy Trump. I guess. But I mean, he's you know, he seems to be doing pretty well right now, Amy. I mean, I think a lot of his base kind of thinks that he's 
you know, a martyr and, uh, you know, being set upon by uh, villainous forces uh, who want to destroy the country. I mean, I think he's he's playing to his his audience. He is. I mean, I think there there is an audience that is receptive to an alternative, but that alternative hasn't yet really made their case. Yeah. Um, and what we're really looking for is, can Ron DeSantis effectively make that case? He's gotten this sort of organic level of support from voters in the Republican primary who say, I am pretty fatigued. I want somebody different. Um, this DeSantis guy seems like a good choice, but they don't really know much about him. It's it's a really thin layer of information that they have on him. And right now, what they are seeing and hearing is either coming from, one, Donald Trump himself, who's attacking him, Trump's super PAC that's also going up with ads attacking him, um, or they're just not really hearing much at all uh, unless, you know, they've heard something about Disney or something in the news. So I I think his kickoff, whenever this is, late May, early June, is critical in making this very clear case for why he wants to be president, but also why he is a better choice for voters who do think Trump's being persecuted, who do think that Trump has been vilified, maybe not as much as Abraham Lincoln, but whatever. <laughs> Jury's still out, you know. Yeah. I mean, hey, I don't know. Trump doesn't like those references, Murphy. But yeah, no, I maybe we'll have him on next week to defend himself. But finish up and then I'll make a but point. But I, I, I mean, I, it's, it's always dangerous to compare one presidential to another. But yep. I was thinking through, all right, what does this feel familiar? What, what feels familiar about this? Jeez. And in some ways, it feels like a, a, where we were, not necessarily 2008 with Hillary and Obama, but 2016 Hillary, where people were lined up behind her. It was her turn. She was yep. getting picked on. She was, um, you know, in. she deserved to have this opportunity. And yet there was a fatigue there from Democratic voters who were like, oh, could we maybe look somewhere else? Could we turn the page from the Clinton years? And I can just tell you, the one lesson I've learned in multiple presidential primaries is the early stuff is massively overrated. Uh, these things are logarithmatic. They run late and they run in a couple of states where people live in a shopping mall full of other choices. Uh, they're going to get to know Tim Scott. They're going to get to know DeSantis. They're going to get to know and take a fourth look yeah. at Trump. So there's so this is like a right now it's a pound of sugar, a stick of butter. And what does the cake taste like? Now, let me let me just finish with a piece of data. New CBS poll. You guys see this. I think it's interesting and indicative in national poll Republicans. Twenty five percent Trump all the way. Definitely about the same, maybe twenty six you know, no Trump ever. And 50, yeah, maybe Trump, but maybe somebody that's else. Right. And that's, that's really, right. where, really where the yeah, race yeah, is. Now, will that, is that predictive? Maybe not, but it is the terrain of opportunity. And I know you for one and uh, the all you uh, guys in the hills hiding out, waiting to come storming back and take the party back or hoping for that. And that may well happen. Let's stop for a minute and listen to a word from one of our fine sponsors. 
You know, Axe, this will surprise you, but I'm very interested in a cool product from one of our great advertisers, Aura. As you know, my beloved union, the Writers Guild of America West, is on strike, tools down. So I'm going to get one of these things. All power to you, brother. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Well, I voted against last strike. I'm totally for this one. Uh, we got to save the young writers who are starving. But anyway, I'm going to get one of these Aura picture frames and have a montage. I'm going to need your help of great labor leaders that can play to to inspire me. So let's talk about Aura because this is technology doing a very cool thing. Absolutely. Aura is a perfect gift uh, for your not-so-tech-savvy family members. I'm actually the least savviest of them all, but Aura helps with the struggle of keeping up with printing and framing your favorite photos. You know, Murphy, I've grandkids now so this is important our house is completely filled with framed pictures of them and the reason that we can do it so easily is aura named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter, the strategist and selected as one of oprah's favorite things which is mm. big aura frames are guaranteed to make mom or grandma smile this year you go online you preload any frame with meaningful memories in other words a picture and a special message that will appear as soon as it's set up. Yeah, an aura frame is really cool. It brings all your photos and videos together in one stunning high-resolution display where mom, dad, granddad, in this case, anybody can really enjoy them. So you get a lot of pictures playing on the frame. You control it all. It's a really neat way, particularly if you love photography and want to stay connected that way. It's easy to set up. You can even invite the whole family through email and links to add to the frame so you have a collection from everybody, and it, frankly, brings you all together. Yeah, man, and around Mother's Day, that that's one heck of a gift. The reviews are in, and Aura Frames are featured in more than 130 gift guides. Selected three times as one of Oprah's favorite things, as David said, and has been named the number one digital picture frame by Wirecutter, and they're, they're tough. I read those reviews. The Strategist and Wired, recommended by the Wall Street Journal, and many more high-end home design publications. And this I love. It's easy to set up. It takes about two minutes to set up a frame just using the Aura app. And guess what? Right now, because of Mother's Day, Aura has a great deal. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com. That's Aura, A-U-R-A, Frames.com. And because we are always looking out for you, Hackaroos, use code HACKS, H-A-C-K-S, to get up to, get this, get up to $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling Carver mat frames. Now, this deal won't be here forever. It ends on May 14th, so don't wait around. Terms and conditions do apply. I had a candidate in Obama who had great ballyhoo when he got in and was pretty bad, you know, for several months before he found his his way. So I understand that people can come back. I, I think you guys, the, what, what you can learn very quickly is sort of what people are like under pressure. And I have to tell you, man, uh, the early reviews on DeSantis are oh, pretty Oh, I agree. He's bad. been horrible. And Trump... You know, look, how many reams of stuff have we written, spoken about, about Donald Trump and all of his sort of gross deficiencies as a, as, as a person, as a public figure? The guy, the, I mean, it's incredible that we're even talking about this, about a guy who was impeached twice and may be multiply indicted by the time this thing comes around. But 
he know, he has his stick and he's pretty good at it and he knows the terrain and his team is really much better than it was before and they know the sort of the they're the sherpa guides through a really labyrinthine process <laughs> and then there's desantis there's desantis and like so here's the latest now his legislature which just gave him dispensation to run i actually don't think that's a pro- I, I i think that's fine if they want to let their nobody governor cares run. right but they're also they now have a bill working through there that would keep secret uh the records of his travel that would keep secret the records of his meetings uh and he was asked this is what he was asked about this bill the other day and and here's what he said about particularly the travel part of it well it's not necessarily something that that i uh, uh came up with i think the issue is is you know with the security situation how you do patterns of movements if you're somebody that is targeted, which unfortunately I am, and I get a lot of threats, um, that, that that could be something that could be helpful for people that, that may not want to do good things. So the president of the United States' travel is a, a matter of public record. I suspect he gets some threats. Uh, I mean, I think Ron DeSantis, you know, he runs Florida now like Huey Long ran Louisiana and whatever he wants, he can get through that legislature. Well, well fewer machine guns. But yeah, yeah, I, <laughs> I fundamentally agree with the analogy. But but uh, and, and this and obviously this wouldn't happen if he didn't want it to happen. Uh, I think these things are all tells. I, I think, uh, you know, he's. He, it's 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 not Disney World, but it's like Dizzy World. It's like they don't. He's very reactive. It's him and his wife making all these decisions, and like I don't think I I actually think it would trouble people to think that yeah we're not actually going to tell you where the governor. And by the way, that bill would cover retroactively his travel. So if it's all about security, why do I need to? Why can't I know who paid for what he? You know all of that stuff in the past. I agree with your premise, but no Republican primary voter is worked up about that particular process issue. Let me just say quickly, the real thing is there's a conventional wisdom going on that, well, DeSantis has been a total clown shoe candidate out of the box, so therefore Trump wins. It's not that. It's Trump versus move beyond Trump, and there are others. That That is the mainspring. I mean, you're always reminding me I've got a confirmation bias because I'm a Trump hater and I want him to go, and that's true. But Democrats have a confirmation bias about it's going to be Trump because that's the one candidate they think Biden can easily beat. So, you know, it's just... We will see. I don't any of the non-Trump guys. Tim Scott's blowing media questions. You know, I'm not seeing a superstar yet. But to your Obama point, as somebody who early when Hillary was the lock kept saying it'll be Obama, Murphy, the fool on the hill strikes again. Um, they can improve. There is an opportunity for him and they can blow it. And then Trump's the nominee. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because this is what I, this is what I'm curious about. To your point about what is the Republican primary electorate looking at? And on so many of these issues, whether it's Disney, whether it's wokeism, where Republicans are on this issue is vastly different than where, obviously, where Democrats are, but also where much of the media who's covering this exactly. is. And so what I'm, what I'm wondering, Mike, and if you're talking to other Republicans out there, is now, are, is the the media coverage of this, the traditional political media coverage of this, missing what appeal he might have to a Republican primary electorate that is eager to to have this served 
to them. Yeah, yeah. DeSantis is creating all the right enemies for a Republican primary. On you know the the woke media, blah blah, the scorn of the elite, all that stuff. Now, on the other hand, he's also creating a brand over time that'll be more and more of an anchor in a general election. The exactly. six week abortion ban. I mean, it's a long list, and some of the crazy House votes. So he, I think the Republican primary voters right now are a mix between tribal resentment, which helps Trump because the bad guys are after him, it could help DeSantis. And an understanding that they're tired of losing. And so if DeSantis can be the culture war guy, damn, I'll, I'll beat the woke, then I think he could come back to life. The problem is he's like the country star who can't play three chords on the guitar right now. You need at least three chords to fake your way through. And I, I he might. I have all the same reaction David does. God, they're awful uh, at this. And he's never really had a tough race. I mean, it's a long list. But... The some of the stuff that he's doing can be synthesized into potion, kind of a Trump light, but younger, better. Well, that's the formula for sure that he's yeah. going after. My my point is this: running for president is not like any other race, and you know this, Mike. You've run these campaigns. People look at yes, you may have the right issue template, and you may tickle some funny bones, but people also look at you as a person. Agreed. And if you're dislikable, if you're irascible, if you're secretive, if you are unpleasant and, uh, you know, that is a real that that is as big an anchor as uh, as some of the issue positions he's taken in general. And I agree with you that um, he uh, he has uh, saddled himself with things that are designed to win the nomination. And now and then he's just counting on Biden and uh and right. Biden breaking down, and I N- not a crazy bet, but not a smart one. There's it's all right. minimum, you know. It, it's not strategic. Let me ask you guys this though: Trump made an interesting move, which he's agreed to a CNN town hall next week. That Caitlin Collins, who's I think actually a f- very very good reporter and tough and un- and and unafraid to ask hard questions, is going to uh, anchor. Uh, DeSantis won't appear anywhere but on Fox. Trump is taking a big step out here. Uh, so what, what is the message you think he's trying to impart? And how much, how much peril and how much opportunity do you see in this? Because there are plenty of questions to ask President Trump. I mean, I personally see it as mostly upside. Yeah. There is nothing he enjoys better than being able to mix it up with the members, the mainstream media who are out to get him. Um, he also gets a chance to show that he's not afraid um, to go up where when things get tough. And, you know, if you're right, David, that would be a good way to invite Ron DeSantis to get up there yeah. and say, now you do it. Right. Let's see how you do in this. I wear the big boy pants. Let's. Well, yeah, how about you? I, I, I'm willing to, 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 to make this. And then the final is that he cannot help himself but to want to be in the spotlight. There, there's right, just, the even if core. everybody around him said, this is a terrible idea, much like we yeah. saw in the first debate with Biden, right? Well, I'm going to come out swinging. Okay, well, maybe you should, oh, I'm going to come out swinging. Right. And it yeah. went way off, way off course. But you, 
he's a moth to a flame. He can yeah, not that, that's say the no. psychosis. Look, I think there's some minor upside for him. I don't think it changed anything in the end. Just more Trump in front of a microphone, but he will he will go after his enemies. He will go after Alvin Bragg, which is an applause line in Republican primary where voters are wondering, why didn't the Salt Lake City DA go after Bill Clinton for his sex scandal? So he'll do some business on all that and he'll be the insult comic. And, you know, I think maybe incremental upside, but he's fundamentally Trump. He's an indelible mark. And I don't think it fixes the fatigue, but it will turn up the heat on DeSantis and the others. Although the national chatter heat in May of the primary year is worth about a dollar ten to me, but I'd do it if I were Trump. It'll just be undisciplined as hell. Yes, it's up in New Hampshire, by the way, which is is coincidental, and that's a place where he hopes to run up the score. You know, there there was an old baseball manager in uh, Chicago in the '60s named Eddie Stanky, and he said, "No risk baseball is second division baseball." Trump is fearless. And that, you know, that leads him into really rough straits at times, but it also is an advantage. And one thing that is the one thing that just to button this DeSantis thing up, he's not fearless. He, he seems fearful. That's why this to me, this sort of keeping his record secret and and, you know, only doing Fox and getting unnerved when people ask him about polls as he did when he was in Japan and uh, these are all tells to me. And the question oh, is, I agree. He is a lousy candidate right now. He is running the turtle campaign, which is just stay under the shell and peek out to grab a little food when it's safe. <laughs> yeah. And that will not get him nominated. His second look in the late summer in the early States is going to be the make or break for him. Well, do you all think that we'll have debates? I, I, that to me is the other question because this is where, to me, the make or break for all of these candidates are these first two debates in August. And there was reporting the other week that Trump is now saying, well, maybe I shouldn't do these, right? I'm yeah. only going to give oxygen to these. So what about the moth to flame thing, though, that you I know. mentioned before? I think he does do them. Right, exactly. The minute there's a debate, Trump won't be the chicken who can't I mean, go. there's an yeah. argument for him not doing it because without him. I agree. It's really sort of not a very interesting event. And so the less attention the event gets, the less attention those people who need attention will get. So there's a reason for him not to do them. The question is whether constitutionally uh, he is uh, able to uh, he is able to stay away. Yeah, it's kind of an iron equation. The others have to have debates. And if they uh -huh. if they force one, Trump has to be there by his own insane ego. So I'd bet money. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about the bet later. I mean, I don't want to bet against that. I don't want to bet against the moth yeah, and you, the flame. Yeah, you better ask for odds because you're betting against Trump's ego, and that's a good way to lose a dollar. I know. Yeah, I'm going to stick to the pl NBA playoffs, I think. <laughs> okay, let's take a break right here for a word from our sponsor, and we'll be right back. So, Mike, we bat a lot of things around here. There are two sides to every story, but if you want to hire great talent for your business faster, well, there's just one way to do it. You need Indeed. Well, Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. What a mm -hmm. time saver. Instead of spending those hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's powerful hiring platform can help you do it all. 
Yep, they streamline hiring with powerful tools that find you matched candidates. With Instant Match, over 80% of employers get quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description. And get this, it happens the moment they sponsor a job, according to Indeed Data US. You betcha. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it's such a time saver. I mean, we both are constantly hiring and firing yes men in our respective organizations. <laughs> and in this economy, they're hard to find. I don't want to spend five hours going through 14 different sites. I like going right to their hiring platform and let Indeed just uh, solve my problem. Candidates you invite to apply, by the way, on Indeed are three times more likely to apply to your job than candidates who only see it in a search, according to U.S. Indeed data. So it's fast and effective. That's what small business and others who are hiring really need. You know, in the minute X and I have been talking to you, 16 hires were made on Indeed, according to their worldwide data. And you know what? Indeed's the only job site where you only pay for applications that mm. meet your must-have requirements. So that's great. That's why 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Wow, 3 million. That, that's a market success. How do you get Indeed? Well, you start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit. To upgrade your job, post at Indeed.com slash hacks. And this offer is good for a limited time. So get going. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash hacks. Indeed.com slash hacks. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Indeed. Glenn Youngkin. Out, 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 out. Surprisingly well, to me. Well, out in 23. Now, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to figure out how this works because there are filing deadlines and all kinds of stuff that you have to do to actually be on a ballot. I mean, this feels a little like Jerry Brown in 19, in 1980, you know, getting in late and winning a few primaries, uh, but not really competing uh, for the nomination. But, you know, obviously his theory in not ruling out running, but ruling out running in 2023 is that somehow that DeSantis and Trump are going to destroy each other and people are going to start looking around for a, a plausible alternative. I think that sounds like a really long shot. Well, it's hard. President Pete Wilson tried that. And you get a huge media bump when you enter. And all the infrastructure and field talk that President Hillary Clinton will tell you about, that stuff is overrated. But Yunkin is not a natural enough fit to be able to overwhelm the process. The, the candidate who is, who I think if they got in the nomination and were ready message-wise, uh, is Brian Kemp of Georgia. I think he could get in and run the damn table as a late discovery. But that means like July. It doesn't mean September. What is his? I thought he had sort of ruled this out. Is, am he, I wrong? He's like, yes. The door yes. is closed. The deadbolt yeah. has not been thrown. Yes. But he's he's saying a lot of, I won't. Now, what he needs is some of the money to come see him. Because I hear that's what he's worried about. He doesn't know because they've all soured on DeSantis. You know, nobody's quicker to panic than the high dollar world. Two days in New York and he'd want to run for president because he'd get $30 million in commitments. But apparently he doesn't, you know, nobody's explained to him how that works. Yeah. Uh, but on paper, boy, he is the Paul who could be the past Trump guy. And I see Amy nodding here, so I'll shut up. But it's almost a tragedy he's not running. Yeah, I heard about this in January, that he has the, uh, you're right, on paper. We don't know how he'd perform, right, right, under the lights and national. But he's 
got so many things that he figured out in an actual swing state. Again, he's won against a serious opponent both times. He signed a very restrictive abortion bill in the state of Georgia that did not prevent him from winning re-election. He defeated Trump's, yeah, he defeated Trump's handpicked candidate. In part, he is the one candidate who can, thus far, has shown he can meld the conservative movement, or he can create a conservative movement without having to depend on Donald yes. Trump. He's very comfortable with Republican-based politics. Watch his yes. first campaign That's where he right. was Trumpier than Trump. Right. But he's very adroit, knows how to play this. He's kind of the Van Helsing uh, versus Trump. And the media narrative would be incredible, which is generational, effective outside Washington, and proven Trump-proof. Um, and it would light complete fire. I mean, I'm tempted to jump on a plane to Atlanta and, and uh, get shot by his guards. Well, yeah. Jesus, if he's listening to this podcast, he'll probably announce this week. <laughs> <laughs> Why do I think he doesn't listen to the left-wing agitprop here? Well, but no, you're that's right. His you're right. On paper, he is missing most of these guys. You know this. They torture themselves trying to reason their way to well, and then if all the left-handed people find I'm left-handed, that'll get me to 22 in the Iowa caucus, and then I'll springboard. It's sitting there for him, and for some reason, he he doesn't get it, but. Anyway, that's my commercial for Governor Kemp. It's also how I felt about Sherrod Brown in 2020, uh, yeah. 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 who, on pa- again, on paper, was the perfect candidate for that moment. And if you don't want to run, you don't want to yeah, run. Yeah, no, right. I, I mean, that's – and you know what? If you don't want to run, you shouldn't allow you yourself shouldn't to get run. talked into running because yes. you will not yes. You'll be terrible. Well, yeah. that – uh, you talk about the perfect candidate. You just gave me the perfect segue. There's a lot of stuff happening on the Senate front that mm-hmm. we should uh, that we should talk about on both sides. The late breaking story is uh, Colin Allred getting in the race in Texas. Former professional football player, Democratic uh, congressman from the suburbs of Dallas, uh, going to take on Ted Cruz. Yeah, uh-huh. Mr. Personality. I was actually quite surprised by the of, of all the things that giving have up happened a safe this seat. week. Yeah. Giving up a safe seat. He is, I think, on a fast track in the House for a leadership position. Yeah. And it's not as if Maybe you know, that's Democrats are him. so deep into the minority <laughs> that he could never <laughs> he could never get back. Um and it's also a state where you can get a Democrat to forty eight percent. But yeah, the man, last two yeah. points extra are vertical. Two, it's like, man, it's really hard. But I wonder if he wandered down to Mulligan's Bar at noon one day and went to the back bar stool and checked, you know, had a chat with Beto about how this this sweet sauce can lead you to ruin. That said, he's better than Beto. Um, and he's got a base in a swing vote area, that Dallas suburban. Well, yeah. his profile is really, really good. He's got a great personal story. You know, yeah. So he's the best shot they got, but he's taking a chance. I'll tell you here, one but- thing: he's gonna he's gonna raise a boatload of money. Oh exactly. God, yeah. I mean, Ted Cruz is a great fundraiser for Democrats. Exactly. You, you ever hear uh, some Guardian writer wrote the funniest, meanest thing about Cruz that I can't resist quoting? Said he reminded him of a sitcom vampire. which makes me laugh every time i think about it but it's still texas in a presidential al franken has this line which is uh he said you know i like ted cruz more than most of my colleagues 
And then he pauses and says, and I hated Ted Cruz. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, you know, Cruz, is, he, is, he, he inspires great, I guess, passion among his base. But, boy, talk about a guy who has a likability uh, yeah, there There's no Cruz vote, but there might be a Texas presidential year Republican. Yes, and that's vote. the Te- other thing. It's a presidential year. Texas, that, he'll ride that wave. Now, Texas is changing, but that doesn't mean it's changed. That's right. Yeah, it's going to be closer. Now, Texas was closer than Ohio, right? Is right. that true? I so, think so. No. I mean, if you're, and if you're Biden, you have to be pretty happy about having Allred on the ticket, turning yeah, out, hopefully, drain. yeah, and turning out younger voters. If, if, if part of the challenge for the Biden campaign is, oh my gosh, how are we going to motivate young voters, voters of color, you've got Allred in, Texas as as a good example of this, we're likely to see in places, these aren't obviously battleground states, but Maryland, we have now an open seat there where to at yeah, least Senator two, if ben not Cardin more, African yeah, yeah. African American candidates, African American woman in the yes. George's County executive. Yes. Um, that's a motivating factor you're gonna have in California battle among progressives here of course that's in the primary not so much a, a general election but well i mean but the point is biden's gonna biden biden's gonna win maryland and he's gonna win california absolutely. but i'll tell you one thing i don't know if colin allred will win uh that race uh as you guys say he's probably the best sh- he's absolutely the best shot that democrats have but i'd make him uh uh, uh, I'd make him a strong bet to be the keynote speaker at the yeah. Democratic convention in 2024 for all the reasons, Amy, that you're talking about. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's he's he is the image that Biden wants to project out there. And he's got broad, uh, uh, broad. And, you know, he's he's a pragmatic guy. So he's not an ideologue. He's a pragmatic guy. He's progressive. But uh yeah he's he's that's gonna be interesting so west virginia oh yeah yeah baby dog justice must be served <laughs> the governor of uh west are you, virginia, are you, are you pitching that because uh you can send him an invoice i like it <laughs> but he uh the republicans had been working 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 to get the popular republican governor former him. democrat jim justice into the race they got him into the race Okay, so what does Joe Manchin do now? Manchin pointedly said, "I, I, I will never. Uh, I've never lost a race, and I never am going to." Well, that's true, but the future has yet to be made. You know, it's a way out, so you got to be careful. But if you're doing the McConnell dream wish list, you get popular governor, character, billionaire, uh, Jim jo- or former billionaire Jim Justice and his lovable bulldog baby dog to run <laughs> now. He has a primary, so See, that's the right, and a semi-closed primary at that. And yes. and I've seen these these beautiful ideas eighteen months out. Right, right, right. Then a guy in an Uncle Sam suit with a congressional base primaries him and kooks him out a little, either hurting him in the general or upset in the primary, where those kind of things can happen. Right. So we, no, you know, they have justice no. has not been served yet. That's but right. on paper, it's it's beautiful. No, no, I know. Al- Alex Mooney, the uh, the uh, congressman, is running. He's uh, way over on the right. He's supported by the Club for Growth, I believe. And Ted Cruz, who's out working. Yeah, he seems like the kind of candidate who these Democratic groups might be 
advertising on behalf of uh, in uh, 2024. I don't, I don't know, but that that's going to be an. Wait a minute, wait a minute. They would meddle in a primary for a cynical outcome. I'm shocked, shocked. This is the Republican problem in a microcosm, which is yes. the primary universe is so different, so different, and uh, so now you would think that justice could navigate that but oh i think he has a great chance to it's just no lock you know but it's you know you look at what ha- happened with mooney and the race last year we're getting for the house this was a redistricting put two incumbents together and how did mooney win that well thanks to club for growth but also by attacking his republican colleague for voting for the infrastructure bill right. for being too close to Biden for being a Democrat, et cetera. Now, obviously, Justice was a Democrat, although most of the state of West Virginia was a Democrat uh, about 20 right, years right. ago, course, 30 course, years yeah. ago. So so being a former Democrat doesn't really have the same sting as it does in other states. But is was he too friendly with Obama, too friendly with other Democrats? Is he, you know, the really the real deal? That's what the message will be from Mooney and his allies. And culturally, justice is about as woke as a wood chipper. You're never going to make him that he's a personality candidate. Um, a dash of Perot, a dash of good old West Virginia, stand up for coal. So he's got a brand. The question is, can he bottle up Mooney? Now, if Mooney wins, at least the Dems will have a field day with the Mooney Tunes campaign against him in the general and all sorts of, you know, uh, weird name things. But There you go. Now, now you're offering up some free. Yeah, yeah. I thought I'd, I'd pitch one, well, too. Well, it's Maryland yeah. Mooney. Looney Mooney, Mooney Tunes. Yeah. Maryland Mooney is the one that works. I think in West Virginia, if there's, it's okay if you were a former Democrat, but it's not okay if, if you're a former you Maryland are really Democrat. just, yeah. Or from Maryland. Yeah, from Pretending Maryland. Pretending to be from West Virginia. Invader. Yeah. yeah. That's anyway, right. this one is going to be fun. No, but it does, it does pose a, a, a challenge uh, for Manchin in trying to sort out his options here. Because I right. think and his, his point Democrat is, problems. I'm not getting in unless I think I can win. I don't think he was just bragging. I think he was saying it. And it does also, uh, you know, there's this uh, no labels presidential thing hanging out there. And he may decide if I'm going to go, if I'm going to die out, as Biden used to say in the White House, if you're going to die, die in a big cross. Yeah, that eight percent on election day though he gets to be John Anderson. Yeah, you know I I think that's a trap. Yeah, but and he also could tip the thing. He could tip the thing in a really. He could tip the thing to Trump. 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 Or I don't. That's why I just have a really hard time seeing him end up on a third party ticket. I think that Manchin in the end would be very comfortable being a big cigar and motor car lobbyist in D.C. That would not be an alien experience for him. Okay, then let's take a break right here. And we'll be right back. Well, I actually finally did it. You've converted me. I loved them because they're an advertiser, but I now have a Helix mattress. I can tell because you're much more energetic. <laughs> it, it's pretty darn good. Now, I have it to is, admit, 
I got two of them because we're connected at Helix. And uh, I have one that we got for a small bed uh, at a a vacation house we have. And another fell off the truck back in Detroit and went to my dad, Joe Murphy, who will not stop raving about it. Fantastic. And he's a little cranky. You know, he's he's willing to call it out when it doesn't work. Like all elderly Irishmen, he is focused on his grudges and he loves his Helix mattress. Yeah, and he should because Helix mattresses are, fitted for your comfort. The Helix lineup offers 20 unique mattresses, including the award-winning Lux Collection, the newly released Helix Elite Collection, a mattress designed for big and tall sleepers, and even a mattress just for kids. So Murphy, what's great about it is you take the Helix Sleep Quiz and find the perfect mattress in under two minutes. They ask you about your sleeping habits, and they come up with the model that best fits your needs. And boy, they were, got around the nose with me. It arrives, as you know, right? Did you get the pla- the thing in plastic? Did you? Yeah, you get to reenact the blob. You open it up and then the thing, it grows out of the box. They should charge admission for that. It's pretty good. And, you know, my favorite part, 100-day guarantee. So if yeah. it turns out we're just a couple of politicians and you don't trust us and you don't like it, you get a 100-night trial and a 10- to 15-year warranty. And if you don't like it, you send it back. Nothing lost. Everything gained. You just can't beat that. And don't just take our word for it. We're not the only Helix fanboys out there. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It's even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for getting you a better night's sleep. And salute Helix. They support the military first responders, teachers, and students by giving them, we have plenty of those listeners, a special extra discount on the website. And now Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and and two free pillows for our listeners, for our listeners. So go to helixsleep.com slash hacks. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. So move quickly, because with Helix, better sleep starts now. Amy, you mentioned Sherrod Brown. He's up next year. There, I mean, it's Manchin, uh, Tester, and Brown. They're the only Democrats in states that uh, uh, that that Republicans carried in the presidential race who have survived. Uh, Sherrod Brown is a great politician, uh, and so Democrats take some uh, comfort in that. His relationship with voters in the state, his populist politics, actually play well in uh, Ohio. But it's still Ohio. And as you point out, it's drifted more and more into the Republican column. Here, too, I guess who the nominee is, is is going to... Critically important. That's right. And you've got a couple of billionaire types, one of whom is very close to Donald Trump, the other one who is notably not close to Donald Trump. And and that state Senator Dolan, who uh, ran... Impressive uh, general election candidate, Matt Dolan. Yeah, I'm a donor, disclosure. Exactly. But getting through a primary... Tough. Very tough. He's he's got resources of his own, but it's a tough one to... Correct. And then there's what, Warren Davidson? Is that the... Well, that's who, yes, is is apparently getting wooed. Freedom Caucus guy. Well, it'll be interesting because I think it all comes down to Ohio. First of all, I have to say that Manchin, Tester, and Brown sounds like a bad folk rock group from the 70s. <laughs> but I think Tester's going to have a hell of a time. Or a law firm. Yep, yep. 1-800-GET-JUSTICE. <laughs> have you been hit by a 
Yeah. yeah. Like Neil J. Lewis, my fa- the guy with the fan of bills by the hospital bed. If you've got a phone, you've got a lawyer. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I don't know. They've got to, Dems have to crack this Ohio thing to be in the hunt, I think. And they've got a great political animal in Brown, but I think Matt Dolan could beat him. I don't know, as you say, if Matt Dolan can get out of the primary. Right. The primary right. could become a real kook-off like last time. Well, and, and being able to outrun Biden by... 10 points yeah. maybe at least eight yeah. points yeah and in 2012 he and obama got the same win percent so he he didn't somebody like tester obviously had to outperform imagine had to outperform the president in their states uh, brown did not i forget his margin but it wasn't gigantic in 2018 it was decent but you're right and he, he didn't have a very serious opponent and Quite frankly, Republicans kind of wrote it off for that reason, which was this isn't worth investing in. They're yeah. not going to do that this obviously this time around. So but I agree with you, Mike, that Ohio becomes really critical. And I think the other place that everyone's w- waiting for uh, is at Arizona. And yeah, what is cinema going to do? Because cinema as a third party candidate makes this just a whole lot more complicated, not just the math of of having a Democrat, Ruben Gallego, win there. But what do Democrats do in terms of all these outside groups? Did you guys read this piece that McKay Coppins wrote yeah. in The Atlantic, this interview yeah. with her? I didn't even know what to make of it. You know, I mean, she she articulated what I think would be a, you know, her campaign theme, which is I'm about solving problems. I don't care about Democrat, Republican, so on. That would, in a state where there are a lot of independents, I'm sure that would have some uh, appeal. But then it was sort of punctuated by these weird interludes where she was kind of irascible and sort of prideful and and strange. Yeah, she she is an odd duck. There's a big New York Times Draper profile, too, that makes a pretty good case. She's a very effective legislator. I think she's going to run as an indie because, one, she likes the quirkiness of if it's quirky, there she is. And it is quirky. It's also the national test case for the center pragmatist in a state full of lunatics. The problem is Gallegos is good. Um, mm-hmm. uh, lunatic candidates. I don't mean the fine people of Arizona. So I don't think <laughs> she'll be able to resist making that try. We'll see. We'll see. Because right now, if you look at polling, it's not very inviting to her. Yeah, right. But, right. you know, she's got to she's got to cook it and make it. You know, um, right now her numbers are death. But right now is not right. Election Day. Well, both of those articles come to different conclusions. <laughs> McKay's like, I don't this seems like a swan song. Also, why do you. Now, someone, Kirsten Cinema, who has avoided the press, literally just every, at every level avoided the press, now sit down with the New York Times and the Atlantic? Is that, is, is that to make your case or is that to yeah. say, this is my swan song, I'm going out on my own terms? If she wants to, well, could be, that's a good observation, but if she wants to run this independent Joan of Arc thing, She's got to get over the, she's got to eat a cockroach instead of run away from him. She's got to learn how to do the public persona campaign with the media. Because if she doesn't have that skill, she can't, she can't do it. It's doomed. She didn't do it in her, her last election. She's never done it before, but she's never, never had horrible numbers like this before. You know, it, it's, it, nothing focuses the mind like a hanging in the morning. So that, that's the question. My dog, Mac, now 10 years old, 
Uh, mm. We've tried for 10 years to get him to swim. We'd go out into Lake Michigan with steak. Uh, we did everything. Sometimes people just don't want to do that, don't want to get in the water like living beings. I, I don't know if she's going to want to expose herself to the scrutiny that such a race would demand, but we, we'll see. Anyway, we got to get out of this because we have a few, more than a few inquiring minds who want to know what Amy Walter thinks. If you good people have a question for the mailbag, all you have to do is send it to us at hacksontap at gmail.com. That is hacksontap at gmail.com. And our army of helpers will quickly pull the cool questions. If you've done one in the past and you still want to know and we didn't get to it, send it again. Also, after the questions, we're going to have episode two of our new Hacks on Tap book club, where all of us will plug an interesting book that you can get. All you have to do is go to the website, hacksontap.com slash book club. Question one is for David Axelrod from Peter. Okay. All right, Peter. Peter wants to know, given that Mike Pence has now given testimony to the grand jury investigating a possible obstruction by Trump in the January 6th riots, is there a possibility Pence could be compelled to provide evidence in a future trial, perhaps even during the Republican primaries or later during the election? Peter, let me give you an honest answer. I have no freaking clue because I'm not a lawyer. Uh, so, But I want to take your question because I want to completely repurpose it, which is a skill that you learn in politics. You take a question that someone asks, and then you answer a completely different question. Uh, and the question is, uh, about Pence's viability in the presidential race. And I want to talk to the group about this, but, um, you know, Pence, uh, if you look at his, uh, approval rating, it's much less robust than DeSantis or Trump among Republicans. He has high negatives. And obviously a lot of it has to do with, uh, his willingness to stand up to Trump to some degree, not to some degree. He did heroically on January 6th. And obviously this testimony uh, reflects uh, his willingness to uh, uh, to continue to do that. He was compelled to do it. He made sure he was compelled to. So, my, I get. I think we will know no later than the Iowa caucuses about whether Mike Pence is a viable candidate in this presidential mm -hmm. race because his base has been with the in the evangelical community. That's why Trump chose him for vice president as an outreach to that community. They now uh, have some fidelity to Trump. Uh, and the question is, can Pence win that back? There are other people, uh, uh, Tim Scott and others, who are competing hard for it as well. So, you know, in a sense, Pence is in the same position that Barack Obama was in in 2008. It's Iowa or bust. But uh, I'm eager to hear from my friends here what they think about that. I agree. Iowa or bust. And, they're, you know, he's everybody's fourth choice right now, which is not a, a rocket pad. But we'll see. He gets to perform. He gets to have a campaign. He does. Though, I also think that uh, his challenge is, even within the evangelical community, that while in 2016, he was the one who helped to sort of normalize Trump, right? If he's okay with me, he's okay with you. Well, now the evangelical yeah. community has basically embraced him. Pence is running really uh, not just on the evangelical issue or on religious issues. He is there saying, I'm going to put a stake in the ground or a flag in the ground, whatever that saying is, for the traditional Republican conservative 
wing of the party, because it's not just on these issues. We keep going back to the evangelical issues, but it's also on the role of America in the world, right? A more hawkish foreign policy. He is on abortion politics. He's come out the strongest, not just on national abortion ban, but he also came out and said, yeah, I think the judge was right in the Mifepristone case. Um, He believes there is still a core or traditional conservative base there that hasn't, there's no one else speaking to them, hasn't been a, a addressed, and he's going to, he's going to do that. I don't, I don't think there's enough of it. The problem is the best case for him is he winds up President Huckabee or President Santorum by coming out of nowhere to win the Iowa caucus. Well, okay. I want to, I want to point out to the uh, listeners, because I know we live in the era of uh, alternative facts that Actually, Huckabee and Santorum were not president. So I just want to say that yeah. for people oh, who no, are confused. I, that was my mocking tone No, I knew. I, knew, I, know I think it Tim is. Scott could fall into that trap, too. That was my Hoping. attempt at humor. Ah. So let me uh, turn to Amy, uh, having failed hmm. in that. Uh, Evan <laughs> says, in all the discussions of whether Trump will win the nomination or not, the question I keep having is, won't Trump pull a Ross Perot and run third party, even if he loses the Republican nomination? He obviously has had the name recognition ability to make headlines, and I would think could easily pull 20%, even if Scott or DeSantis uh, win the nomination. And so let me just append to it. Won't Trump tear down whoever wins, whether he runs third party or not? He'll try to. All right. So perhaps, although if we think about where Donald Trump will be at this point, if he loses, uh, where where will his thinking go? (laughs) <laughs> well, <laughs> the uh, it, just where his thinking will be. One, he comes in as a third party candidate and tips this over to Joe Biden. How is that helpful to anything that Donald Trump wants to do in the future? Either forget about having his legacy with the party, but anything else that he wants to do, he's going to be remembered as, oh, you're the guy that helped ensure that he was. He threw the Senate re-elected. to the Democrats in 2021. Yeah, but that's different than. Yeah. But no, that he, was massive election fraud, a conspiracy, mind control. I don't think he's going to run as a third party candidate. I don't I just don't yeah. think he He doesn't he does have that. to. He can make trouble in the But does press. he is there yeah. a unity breakfast the day after the primary? Absolutely not. No. Yeah. And if there is, there won't be forks and knives there, I'll tell you that. There. But is there a case to be made that while he's not going yeah. to be helpful to a DeSantis or whoever else comes out of this? that it does him better to try to be the one saying, look, I'm here, I'm going to go out and rally folks against Biden, and then you can look to me as the reason that Biden lost. I turned out my people. He'll be driven by grievance, though. He won't be able to do that for somebody. I just think the more he loses, the less powerful he'll be in the end. But he'll try. I think he will. But who knows? Madman. Murphy, we got to do this quick. Sam, with a seemingly, seemingly in parentheses, I don't know why it's... Yeah, with with an absolute... Conservative shift in Iowa politics lately, and Iowa's loss at the first state in the Democrat calendar. Could we see Democratic presidential primary candidates stop supporting ethanol subsidies to appease Iowans? I'm not sure if ethanol is important in other states. I just know it is the thing for Iowa farmers. Murphy, you are an old Iowa hand, and you also worked for John McCain, who basically blew off Iowa because he didn't support ethanol subsidy. 
Yeah, and we thought we'd lost. It was easier to mug him in New Hampshire and go for the upset. But I, you're an old Iowa hand, too. Between us, we're Jurassic Iowa hands. The ethanol issue, which has its defenders and its critics, is kind of the gauntlet you deal with. And it's not the only thing the Iowa caucus voters vote on by any means, but it's a, it's a big issue. It's like going to Detroit and saying, you know, what's all this complaining about foreign cars? So... I think it will go away as the chokehold it was with the Democratic contest. I think the missing thing about the Democratic contest going away is there are 172,000 civic-minded Iowa Democrats and independents who voted in the last contested caucus in 2016 with nothing to do on caucus night, which could affect the Republican caucus. But yeah, ethanol exiting the stage in Iowa for Democrats. As we exit the stage, we should point out that uh, ethanol subsidies are back in the Republican bill that just was passed because a number of Republican members of Congress, not all from Iowa, but from the Midwest, insisted that it be in. Uh, So that gives you a sense that there's still power Mm -hmm. uh, to the issue, uh, even among Republicans. Time to pay the meter, but we will be right back. Now, let's hear from our sponsor. So this is a very personal message for me. Some of you may know, and I may have mentioned on this show, that my daughter's life was changed in a dramatic way by epilepsy. And 25 years ago, my heroic wife, Susan, started an organization called Citizens United for Research in Epilepsy, Cure Epilepsy uh, for short. And uh, this weekend, we're marking the 25th anniversary of Cure's efforts. They've raised over $90 million for epilepsy research and moved closer the day that we can put this terrible scourge that kills tens of thousands of people a year, Americans a year, and ruins countless lives behind us. If you guys out there are willing, uh, we would love your support for this cause that is really a cause of my life, Susan's life, my family's life, and many families' lives. And let me just say, as an old friend, I am a Cure supporter. I know the organization. Your wife is a saint. Why she married you, we'll have to have a whole episode <laughs> on that. But it is a worthy, worthy organization. I am proud to be a donor to it. I will continue to be a donor. And I encourage all you hackaroos to uh, send a few shekels and help make an incredible difference in so many lives. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. It's cureepilepsy.org is the uh, link. Please look into it. All right, questions are answered. Knowledge is sent. Amy, let's do the book club. What are you recommending for our hackaroos? Okay, so I've finished this book called Who Can You Trust by a woman named Rachel Botsman. And her thesis in this book is that while institutions are losing trust, all kinds of institutions, as we talk about a lot in politics, that we are in the midst of a change in our trust revolution, that we're on the third phase of humans' trust revolution, where, as we all know, we're going now, instead of vertically in terms of trust, it's horizontal. So forget banks, we've got Bitcoin, forget hotels, we've got Airbnb, forget cab companies, we've got Uber. And so this trust, uh, I think what I appreciated about it was instead of the sort of hand wringing about, oh my gosh, everybody's lost faith in institutions, we're collapsing as a society, we're, we're headed to anarchy and disaster. It's why don't we see this as actually a an 
normal human evolution on what it is that we trust and how this new institution gets built in the same way that we decided at one point many, many years ago that it would be okay to put money in a bank with people we didn't know yeah. And trust that it was going <laughs> to stay there, right? That was a pretty big leap. As a that First we made. Republic uh, customer, I'm, I'm <laughs> rethinking that whole thing. But go ahead. <laughs> yeah, well, this was not a day. Maybe not a day to talk about banks. But now, can we trust this author? <laughs> I think so. That's okay. a, there right. you go. Okay. There we know go. we can trust you. All right, I'm doing a palate cleanser in our current dire times. A book called "When the Center Held: Gerald Ford and the Rescue mm. of the American." presidency. Ford came up. The, Nixon was having nervous breakdowns. What do we do? Who wrote it? Somebody was in the room. One Donald Rumsfeld. It's a really good history. Mm. Wow. Interesting time. Mm. Hmm. Okay. Well, I guess I didn't know we were all going. I mean, I'm reading Me- uh, Meacham's book on Lincoln right now. It's interesting. Mm. It's good. I can read Lincoln books forever because I think he was the greatest American president and maybe the greatest American uh, George Washington has a good argument. But uh, anyway. Uh, let me just quickly, too, because it is a day after May Day, throw you a chip. Don't forget Believer by David Axelrod, available <laughs> on Amazon.com for a very right. reasonable price these days. There. Man, I'm, I'm glad you there interrupted. You <laughs> Comrades got to stick together. I, I just was going to say goodbye, but that's it. Yeah, exactly. Amy Walter, it is always a thrill to be uh, with you and uh, Murphy and I have our bags packed. We're coming over to your podcast as soon as we're invited. I can't wait. Thank you so much. Yeah. We'll have yeah. tons of fun. It's called The Odd Years. The Odd Year. We, we can be oddballs on, on The Odd Years. Yeah. Yes. yes. That's it. We're oh, ready to do it. That's a great pitch. There, there the you go. Guys. There you go. Yes, exactly. We're as odd as they come. Anyway, great to be with you. Murphy, great to be with you. And we'll see you guys next time. 